So uh, welcome to another uh, All Access episode. I'm here sitting with uh, composer Greg uh, Trippi. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. How are you doing? Hey, thanks, Kaya. I'm doing great. Thank you. So uh, I love to start off just asking composers, uh, you know, kind of look at, kind of taking a check at their background. So and uh, your kind of early years, talk, talk to me about like your childhood growing up and when do you remember kind of that catalyst moment when you decided I'm in love with, you know, music and then of course what triggered, you know, music as a storytelling device and how did that turn into a career? Wow. Um, well, I've, I've played music since I was a child, I mean, I grew up playing bassoon in elementary school and it was a, you know, it took me through high school and college. I went to bassoon camp when I was 14 <laughs> and it didn't, it didn't turn me off to the whole experience, even if it was a little uh, insane. I didn't and, know there you know, was a bassoon camp. <laughs> yeah, it was special. Um, I, I was really fortunate. I had a close group of friends growing up who all loved movies and making movies and even as kids we would try to make movies with you know VHS camcorders when we were really young and um I just knew that I loved music in the movies and I'd have like these battery powered keyboards I'd stick it on my shoulder and run behind the camera trying to play it out the speakers to get it in the scene and that was I just assumed that's how you must put movie and uh, movie and music together um Anyways, you know, I, I studied film and music in um, college, and then I went and played in bands for a long time, and then went back to college and studied film music and uh, music synthesis. And, you know, it's just always been a part of what I wanted to do and what I love. Um, you know, I imagine when I was 10, um, Tim Burton's Batman came out. And I was absolutely yeah. mesmerized by it. Um, I told my parents I wanted the music for Christmas. I was like, I want that awesome music. I don't know who did it or what it is, but I just want it. And bless their heart for Christmas that year, they gave me a cassette tape with Prince's Batman music on it. <laughs> I listened to it, I'm like, wait, where's all the, where's all the horns and the strings and stuff? I'm, so it was a good moment to realize that there's songs and film scores. And then I realized it was Danny Elfman's scores, what I was talking about. And we sussed it out and they got me that one too. And um, yeah, that was, that was the switch that turned it on for me. And then, you know, I, yeah, all, all the classical. So stuff. when did it, when did it become like, when did it become more than just a, a hobby and an interest and, when did it become a career choice? And I know you were mentioned before we started recording that, you know, we're both from the East Coast and we had to come to that. When did you make that decision to leave Virginia and head out West and turn this into a career? Oh, well, I left Virginia when I was 18. Then I oh, okay, so that was earlier than that. <laughs> I studied music composition and then I went to Atlanta and played in heavy metal and electronic bands for a long time. Oh, um, nice. And then I made the decision, I studied at Berkeley College of Music and I was very fortunate that I won two good um, TV music fellowships, one with the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences and one with BMI. So I had these two really amazing opportunities lined up in Los Angeles. And I came here and I worked with Snuffy Walden and then Mike Post. And then I went out on my own. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was challenging, but 
Yeah. I'm fortunate that I had a lot of really good experiences starting out. Um, I worked with a couple of other composers along the way and then I met Cliff Martinez and he had been, you know, someone who I was just, I, I loved his music so much when I was studying in school. And then we met, just hung out as friends for the longest time, just talking about music and sound design and eating Thai food. And um, then we started working together a few years later. He just asked if I wanted to get manned and it just worked out so easily and naturally, we just kept doing it. And, you know, uh, 15 years later, we still collaborate on things just because yeah. it, it works so well. And, you know, having a, a mentor, someone that, you know, likes what I do and who I like what they do and, we get along, it, it makes a big difference in the film scoring career to have someone that, you know, he's, I'm like a sponge. I could just soak up all the good knowledge he uh, exudes all day. He is, uh, I love talking with him. And I rem- one of my favorite memories when I was in LA was I went to his house, uh, was to record an interview between him and Nicholas Winding Refn. They were talking, I think about Only God Forgives. And we were just, they were just sitting on his couch and I was just there just bearing witness to it, just recording it for um, Milan. They're going to, I think, put it on the LP and right. just hearing them too, just just talk about their process. And it was, and I love, and Cliff just has so much insight. Cliff is fantastic. I love him. <laughs> when we worked on Only God Forgives, I had just moved to Topanga Canyon where his house was at the time. Yeah, that's, I know you were mentioning the Topanga crew of all the composers there. Yeah. <laughs> so I lived about half a mile away from his house, but he was in, Thailand at the time so like we had just moved right down the street from each other and then he was on the other side of the planet for the whole process and um, it still worked out fine yeah <laughs> so talk about you mentioned uh, Snuffy and, and Cliff and so the, you know a lot of composers come up in that route where they w- collaborate with other composers whether it's doing additional music or working on their music team so when you're kind of first coming into like your own and working on other people's scores what did you try to take from those experiences? Were you in learning mode? Were you just kind of nervous working, trying to make sure that you didn't mess up something or what kind of, what was that experience like for you? And what did you want to take away from all those, uh, all those jobs? Well, you know, the, the job with someone like Snuffy was a little more of an, of an assistant job. I was his assistant on, he had seven shows at the same time when I started there. Uh, all I was trying to do was not drown. It was, it was, pretty intimidating for the first day off the boat in LA, but incredibly generous and, you know, good person to be and learn from. And then with Cliff, it was more of, we always just collaborated. It was, it was just one of these things, like all the ideas I had, he was willing to hear them and his ideas were just flowing out. And I, I just couldn't write it all down fast enough. So what I was trying to take away was just all this, you know, all these ideas, there's so many of them. And a lot of it was very, you know, new ideas, things I hadn't really had a chance to experiment with yet. Um, electronic sound design, texture design. Um, you know, when we did drive together, we had all these new techniques we were experimenting with, with recording and sound processing and just writing it all down. Like, oh my God, I hope we remember this tomorrow. These are all amazing ideas. And um, yeah, they worked out. They worked out really well. So um, I I just feel like I'm in a, you know, a, some sort of film scoring dojo where like every day there's some amazing like a uh, bit of fortune cookie knowledge. You know what I mean? Like something you can exactly 
gleam yeah. off of the experience. Yeah. Well, so speaking, yeah, so I mean, yeah, so you had that time, you know, and even though you still collaborate with Cliff, you, you know, you're now definitely established as your uh, own on your own voice, your own composer, and I love your music so much. Um, so just speaking generally about your approach, I always like to ask composers the same question because I always find it fascinating with what the answers are. Uh, where does the first note come from for you? I know it's going to probably differ from project to project, but on a kind of general topic, like general idea, like what do you typically like to do when you start, when you take on a gig? Uh, you know, if you're lucky enough to be there early, do you like to read the script first? Do you like to watch that first cut? Do you like to just talk to the director or producer first? Like what's kind of the first thing that you like to do that helps generate those first ideas and those first notes uh, to come out of your head? Well, personally, I, I love reading scripts. I, I like reading scripts because, you know, the, the whole process of getting from a script to a, you know, a, a visual cut of the movie is fascinating to me. I love reading it, seeing what it looks like in my head and then seeing what it looks like when it shows up. And it always gets a lot of ideas going. Sometimes I just think on it for a week. My usual technique is I start collecting sounds, things I think might be good um, jumping off points. I'll do a lot of sound design on the different synthesizers in my studio or just um, sound processing. I also use, you know, a lot of metal drums on my scores. I've got uh, my Pantheon Steel Halos, kind of the main instrument I play on my scores. I almost always just do a recording session of myself, recording ideas out, writing phrases, and uh, getting a little collection of melodies and, and ostinatos together to use. And that's that's been the process for the past couple movies and TV shows. And then when uh, the video shows up, you just you know, I start putting things against the picture and seeing what, what feels right and how it strikes me. And um, Is there anything yeah. about the picture that really, like, do you look for colors? Do you look at performances? Like what kind of, kind of triggers, what, what are you kind of throwing up there to see what sticks? Are you just focusing on the overall story arc or what kind of textures are you throwing up there? You know, I, I look at stuff and I, I, a lot of times I think about like the level of the level of darkness, level of brightness, not in terms of, um, you know, color grading or lighting, Emotion, but emotional, in terms of emotional, yeah. emotional gravity. And, um, you know, I tend to gravitate towards things that are a little heavier and uh, darker and their subject matter or style and presentation. And um, a lot of times you watch the picture and you, you kind of weight that in your head of, how the picture feels, like how heavy is it on your shoulders when you watch it. And then I find material that I think kind of conveys a similar, you know, seriousness, a similar weight. And, and there are times when you want the opposite. You want something to say something that's not there on the picture. But um, I think in general, I just, I just watch it and see where I feel like it lives, what, what kind of like, space between light and dark it lives in it and how it affects me then i i just kind of see what sounds cool with it and um yeah you know <laughs> i spent enough time putting the putting the original palette together i, I kind of know where to you know where to jump right. off at exactly so uh i know a big part of your job is working with directors 
and you know you're there to service the film and the director is there to to hopefully guide you so i wanted to ask you know just on a just kind of a hypothetical sense if you had if we had like a scale here i want you to imagine a scale and you had one in the scale is the director that is the most controlling micromanaging you know my way or the highway type person or on the other end of the scale the completely hands off no guidance whatsoever go do what you want as a composer, what do you look for? Where is where in that scale would you prefer to land on for a, a collaborator and a, and a filmmaker? And I just ask that question because as someone who's not into music, I love to understand what would make a better working companionship. And what do you what kind of what helps you do your job the best in, in that sense is the kind of point of the question. Well, I, I think from past experience, the best the best scoring experiences I've had are the ones where the director wants to be a collaborator. And um, I mean, I, I came at this a lot because I love music and because I love making movies. I mean, I, I really love the process of just creating movies, letting people see them. And a, a part of that is the collaboration. I think working with people, directors, um, I mean, I love every part of it. I love cinematography. I love, you know, how visual effect artists work. I love the craft services. I mean, it all just fascinates me. And um, I like collaborating and seeing like bouncing ideas back and forth. And all of the, all, at least in my opinion, all the stuff that I've written that I think is the best or the most effective are the pieces where we've gone back and forth a bit with ideas and shared ideas and, you know, more than one person's ideas make it into it. So I think on the, on the collaboration scale, I don't know, someplace from the middle to the top. I mean, I've worked in situations where they were hands off completely and they said, just send it in. And we did. And it sounded cool. Yeah. But I've worked in projects where it was a, a long collaborative effort and it, it really went to another level, I think, because you put that extra time and that extra sharing of ideas into it. Absolutely, yeah. I'll say an eight and a half. Eight and a half, okay. <laughs> so let's dive into some of your your projects. Uh, you've you've composed a, a variety of from different genres and styles, and and um, uh, you know, one of the uh, I think a great thing that you, uh, score that you did was, of course, for Manhunt, uh, the, the which is an anthology series. Uh, you did season one, which was about the Unabomber, and I wanted to ask about approaching that and how did you approach a dramatization of a real life kind of event that people can go and look about the news and when it happened you know a lot of people grew up with that but that was what early 90s and that happened and um so talk about approaching that and what what did you want your score to do for that for that particular project well On Manhunt, the showrunner, Greg Yatanis, was, was extremely good at letting me just have creative freedom about, just see what, what comes out of it. And I, I saw dailies and a bunch of individual scenes from across all the episodes. And I had a, a good few months to just think about it and work on it and start writing ideas out. And I wrote maybe 50, 50 short ideas out. Some of them were to these dailies, some of them were to standalone pieces. And I sent them to Greg and he started editing with them and cutting them into scenes. And sometimes he'd use them for the scenes I wrote them for. Sometimes they'd end up in a totally different place. 
and that type of collaborative process is excellent because you know you you might write something and think you know the perfect place for it but your director your editor your showrunner places it someplace totally different and it works amazing and um i think a lot of it started that way where i kind of saw what style what type of piece they'd use and what type of scene because there's a lot of action but there's also a lot of very introspective moments about the the main character ted kaczynski and his reason for doing the uh you know doing the unibombing and uh what what created that and what created him and there were some really beautiful moments in the show too and i wanted to really push that um that was actually the first time i ever used my halo drum on a score and i was they were they responded so well to it i was so excited by it i think the very first piece in the show that opens with has the halo on it so you know it's this instrument oh, and wow. it's just it's just playing with these glassy pads behind it and i mean it, it sets a tone that i think got me excited about the show and about the possibilities of scoring a show with this instrument and um yeah i felt like a zombie some days where my hands were just writing and i was sitting back watching them work i was like where's all this coming from and uh, you know it's i always felt like it's easy to write music to really good shows really good movies just comes out so much easier yeah you're just reacting as as you're watching it essentially right yeah that show was exemplary it, it really was a fantastic experience yeah and, and it um, showed i think the yeah your score was fantastic i remember when it came out um and of course it's an anthology series so i think it continued i think harry gregson williams did the steph did the second season but it's a, yeah it's an interesting take um on that kind of true crime dramatization um definitely um, but an, another uh, project you did that I want to shine a light on uh, that I really enjoyed was um, Michael Leone's documentary, American Street Kid, which is about the homeless teenage youth in, in Los Angeles. So I wanted to know what that experience is like, especially since you're living and working in Los Angeles and I've been there for 11 years and, you know, homelessness is a real problem. Uh, housing is a problem and, and something as a documentary, how did, did you approach it any different than a fictitious film or I mean how did you want to approach that musically right you know um they approached me about scoring it because they had heard another film that I had scored a while back called Reach which you know it was it was kind of based on a true story used a lot of guitars in it and a lot of um these kind of emotive textures and pads and I think they kind of tempt some of it into their movie and it worked really well. So we had an idea about where to start with in terms of the, uh, you know, the palette and what worked well in their film. And, um, you know, it was a good chance to do something that was leaning much more on these kind of sympathetic themes. And, you know, it's a, it's a sad story, but it's got a, it's got a really, it progresses into something that's hopeful and has a lot of resolve to it. Um, there were a lot of songs in the movie also, so it had to, you know, pace out and, and work with a lot of other music. And, um, you know, I, I've seen the movie in theaters a few times now, actually. And it was a good experience. It played really well. It's a, yeah, I think <laughs> so. they're pretty sad. And, uh, yeah. 
I mean, but that's, I mean, that's why I love documentaries because they do tackle serious subjects. And I know some people see film as an escape, but it's also good to be so as a sobering agent kind of to, to realize what's going on in the world around you. And I, and I thought that was very effective a documentary. And I thought your score really kind of highlighted that exemplarily well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but another, another film that I, I really liked was Rememory starring Peter Dinklage. And I think that was the first time I, one of the earlier times when I got introduced to your music. Um, so when you're approaching a sci-fi film, that's kind of a mystery, kind of acting like a puzzle, piecing together, um, how integral was to, uh, were you following uh, the edit and the, and the film and making sure that your music was pushing that narrative to where it needed to be for that kind of, you know, the third act and everything? Yeah. Um, we spent a long time working on that. It, it went through several iterations of the edit and I was, I started early on with it. And um, yeah, Mark Polanski, the director, had a really great idea in mind about where he wanted to uh, go with the music and the score. And um, I gave him lots of ideas. Sometimes we could do multiple options for the same scene and he'd, he'd really kind of find the right tone for it. And um, we recorded the, uh, the orchestra in Macedonia, I believe, and just tried to really make it get bigger and bigger as the movie went along so that it starts off at a very kind of intimate small place and then gets to this big sound at the end but you know so much of the movie also is about um you know a synth score and these right. kind of personal memories and moments and one of the one of the things he pitched the movie to me as was that there's this um device that can watch your memories relive your memories on a device that has these little glass memory chips that you put into it so there's this cool this cool kind of jumping off point of like wow that's a that's a novel idea and i'm like well we could put some glass into the score and um some some repeating looping ideas that kind of symbolize the idea of like memories and they're stored on glass so i had my parents had just given me a set of wine glasses that all have these laser etchings of pitches on them so, you know, you pour wine up to this point, it's an A, you pour up to here, right. it's yeah. <laughs> C. And so I recorded all the wine glasses and um, those kind of became the, the foundation of the score. And then I had a whole set of instruments designed to sound like, you know, machines and uh, the strings. And um, Peter Dinklage introduced me to his brother, Jonathan, who's an amazing violin player. He's a touring musician and... Um, he was super eager to contribute to the score. And wow, I had him really cool. play a bunch of violin solos for me. And he he plays all the violin solos on the score and it was a great collaboration. And um, yeah, it's just such a good experience like working with all these people and it all came together so easily. It took a while, but it just came together yeah. really nicely at the end. And um, yeah, I'm glad you liked that one. It's, yeah, that know. was an, I like that one a lot. I thought it was really cool. Um, and then, of course, I see the poster behind you for Ma, which I thought was also great, uh, with uh, Octavia, Octavia Spencer. Um, but talk about scoring like that. I mean, as a horror thriller like that, that's very kind of uh, performance based. You know, she's a powerhouse of an actress. Um, that, that, that change the way you approach a score at all? Are you drawing from her performance a lot more than, say, something that's a little bit more uh, concept based or anything like that? 
Yeah, I mean, it was a it was such a cool movie when I first saw it. It was already in such a great shape. Um, you know, we knew that the movie was going to be have some horror aspects of it, but we knew it was also going to be a real study of like the character of like what happened as a child and how right. it turned her into. <laughs> ooh, excuse me, how it turned her into how she is as an adult, and um. So you know, there was this idea that there'd be these uh, nostalgic childhood moments that needed maybe one type of score and then these um these screw loose as an adult moments that needed a very different type and then there's the horrific kind of ending that was going to really push into a different genre and um yeah so approaching it kind of we knew it needed to have different types of score throughout it different types of uh you know function differently for different times of her life and um yeah Tate Taylor the director had a lot of ideas, but he let me go really off my own and just explore it and um, really push it. And by the last cue of the movie, they just were like, push it as crazy as you can. <laughs> That's always a great so, note to get. <laughs> yeah, they were they were in here watching it with me in the studio here. And I, I couldn't even look at their faces watching the last scene because I was so scared they were just going to start shaking their head. And <laughs> I just turned around, they both had their mouth producer and they had their mouths open just like, yes. We never knew what it needed to sound like, but that's it. And that's, you know, that's really gratifying and a, a good collaboration when, you know, you see that they respond well to what you're doing. And yeah, even when we mixed the movie, we, we turned down some of the fire trucks at the end just so the score could pop out more. That's awesome. That's great. That's a, that's a dream come true for a composer to make sure you get the score up up front a little bit more. <laughs> I know, right? Turn down the helicopters, turn down the fire trucks. Yeah, uh, so but you mentioned having them in the room there and i know that a lot of composers go through that when they have to you know show their piece their work for the first time is that a nerve-wracking experience for you once you've been toiling away at it and then it's time to present it for the first time like uh, are you ever excited to present it or are you just like oh crap is this going to not go over well <laughs> all the above yes <laughs> all the above <laughs> i'm always excited to present it scared yeah. to death at the same time but um yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so you have a, a new film coming out, uh, Warning, uh, which is the, the recent sci-fi thriller that you scored, directed by um, uh, Agatha Alexander, and starring the great cast includes Thomas Jane, um, Rupert Everett, and then of course, I think what's interesting in the film is they have you have real life father son actors playing father and son Richard uh, Pettifer and Alex Pettifer. Um, so talk about this film. Um, how did you approach it? Uh, what kind of score did you go with and uh, what were some of the maybe challenges that you encountered along the way trying to get it to work? Well, um, yeah, when I first started on the film, I, I just saw the film. I didn't read a script or anything and I, it was, I saw a couple of scenes and it looked, the very first thing you notice is it has a very distinct style. It was, I, I love movies that have over the top style and um, there was a certain rhythmic aspect to the editing, the visual effects, even though most of them weren't finished yet, you could tell that it was going, it, their ambition was to go someplace in a very uh, hyper-stylized, futuristic sci-fi vibe. And I, I just eat that stuff up. I, yeah, it's my favorite type of movie. <laughs> and I get so excited by it. And immediately I was like, ah, you know, I heard all these synth ideas in my head and, 
you know, I had I just actually gotten um, a new synth in my studio, this one, the ASM Hydrosynth, and it was really the, the backbone of that score. Just like, you know, when you get a new synthesizer, you want to explore all the sounds on it. You want to explore creating sounds. And it's such a great um, impetus for finding a new direction into a score. And learning a new piece of equipment is there are so many happy accidents, you can barely keep track of them all. So I just, every day was just hitting record and just going crazy for a while. Um, I used my halo drum on the score also in a few places and it worked really well with the synthesizer. And um, they had kind of, they had presented the idea to me of using some vocals in parts of the score as well, because I, I think it's just something they'd always kind of like had this idea for. So I, I had written this piece that was a four part, um, you know, Leggetti-ish, you know, soprano piece or four solos pianos, four solo sopranos. I try to say that right, and that made it into the score in several places. So, yeah, you know, we just came at it. We had all these ideas up front, and it was just a matter of seeing if I could get them all done in time. It wasn't really a a long process. And um, how long did you have on this one? About a month and a half. Yeah, that's short. That's a and then uh, instinct there. <laughs> we're finishing it up. Everything everything shut down last year. Oh, it was right at the end. That's right when COVID started. This is right at the beginning of twenty twenty when I started it. Then everything right as we were starting to uh, really finish up post production, everything started shutting down, and it caused a big delay in finishing it. But it gave us some time to really kind of dial in some of the details we wanted to get at. Um, which is great because I had time to kind of clean up the score and really uh, make sure it was the place I wanted it to be at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. Happy it's really now. I know it's it's and that's exciting. I think it's exciting to see stuff, uh, you know, stuff that got delayed or, or had to be reworked. And we're seeing a Russian movies, of course, out in the theaters as well. And um, but you also have another film, uh, Vandal, coming out, which I think was completed a while ago, right? I think. Um, yeah, we finished it right at the end of 2019. So now it has distribution and it's coming out, um, which is another interesting story about uh, a graffiti artist in Miami and, and kind of a coming of age story. Um, how did you approach this one? Yeah, Vandal is a beautiful movie. I'm, I'm so excited that it's coming out finally and people get to see it because it, it did a small uh, festival run and right. uh, you select screenings. And yeah, it's coming out November 16th, I believe. Um, yeah, so J.D. Frexia, the director, was a really big fan of uh, Drive and um, the Nick also. And you knew my work on that with Cliff Martinez. And um, we, yeah, we met up and discussed it and decided we really liked the idea of, you know, using some electronic stuff against the backdrop of like this, you know, urban graffiti scene in Miami, with a lot of street artists and graffiti artists and kind of, a, you know, kind of like a coming of age story. There's a love story in there, but also just some really crazy visual stuff. Yeah. And they yeah. put so much work into this movie and making these beautiful graffiti murals that 
yeah, the whole thing is a visual just accomplishment that's so cool to look at. And again, you know, you, you see awesome movies like this and it's so easy just to want to write music. The synth score, you know, I had, I just felt like I had the blueprints in my mind and it just kind of came out. A lot of it was from, um, you know, Arturia Matrix Brute was the synth of choice on that one. And that really uh, shaped a lot of the pulses and stuff. I played guitar in it. I played the Halo on that one ex extensively, actually. That there's a few places with Halo solos, and uh, I do a duet with myself on one cue. And um, you know, there's a there's a lot of songs from artists in that local scene. Right. So, yeah, it, it really turned out beautiful, man. I can't wait for people to see this one. You and you mentioned this a couple times when you you said you hear that you hear the synth sounds in your head, and I'm curious. Um, as, you know, as a composer that works heavily with electronics and synths, do you, you know, if somebody can say like, oh, I can hear a trombone, I can hear a, a flute, I can hear a, a drum, and people can essentially go, yeah, I can, I can picture that. But since synth sounds can literally be, however, you can push the machine into what it is, do you, once you have a familiarity of a, of a certain synth synthesizer, do you kind of, you can immediately picture it in your head and where it can go? And how long does it take you to familiarize yourself with a new instrument? till you're comfortable and can start hearing it in your head, I guess. Well, I, I think when I say I hear it in my head, I, maybe not specifically a, a, a specific instrument, mm -hmm. but more of just like a sound. Like I, I think a lot of times in terms of uh, how, can, how can you go from this simmering soft pulse into like this big screaming arpeggio? How can you make one sound kind of evolve and I, you know, I, I credit Cliff with really nailing this idea into my head is that the scores that use the least number of instruments tend to be some of the best ones. And if you can find that one sound, that one amazing sound that can evolve and change itself, those are the best. So when we did the Nick, one of the, uh, one of the unwritten rules that we kind of like tacked up there on the, on the computer was, let's try to use one sound in every cue. And let's see how many different permutations of that sound we can use to kind of say, well, this is the one sound and made a whole five minute long piece of music out of it. And, you know, I applied a lot of that to Vandal also saying, well, I've got this one sound. Can I go from this, um, you know, quiet, just energetic pulse behind everybody talking. And then once they stop with the dialogue, it opens up into this thing that is big animated version of the, subtle filtered down version you've heard before so you know that's that's how i think about it in terms of like hearing the synthesizer in my head it's like where can i where can i pull it back and where can i open it up to really let it just uh, scream and uh, do its thing and then filter it back again that's awesome yeah it's fascinating to me <laughs> so, i mean i guess it's not different thinking about like you know how can i use a trombone or a violin or yeah uh, i mean i you know i i had orchestral stuff my scores also when I when it's appropriate but you know there are times like Vandal where it's it's all about you know electronic stuff and I, I played guitar and Halo on that score so it did have some organic elements just not right orchestral and traditional absolutely yeah yeah no and I think it works perfectly for the yeah for it it takes on the film and, and everything uh you're writing it was proper for the film and what's right for the story um, but I also want to touch on, um, yeah, I know you released two 
uh, production library music albums uh, that you uh, featured your your Halo drum. And um, I, want, I want to talk about composing production music like that. And, and I know it's, a, it's part of a lot of composers' lives and creating production music and, and submitting them to libraries like that. And uh, you did it for um, uh, Warner Chapel production music. So talk about the create, creative process. Uh, how, what kind of, what, what about that is creatively rewarding versus writing to picture and working on a film? And you tend to have more freedom to really explore what speaks to you, or are you picturing how somebody might use this music down the line and trying to craft it for something? Or is it more like coming just what you think should be used or kind of you're trying to picture it being used by somebody else? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, Warner Chapel production music approached me about possibly doing an album based on my halo. They were familiar with Manhunt and um, some of the other scores I've used it on. And they, they just were asking, what about the idea of doing a, an album with Halo and maybe orchestra? I'm like, well, that sounds amazing, first of all. Yeah. And I, I had no idea what it would sound like or how it would work. So I, I said yes immediately. And um, I think we started last January. And, um, you know, I just, I would get up in the morning and uh, just lock myself in here and just experiment. I usually start writing on Halo first until I found a nice, you know, ostinato, something to kind of make the backbone of a piece, orchestrate around it, and then go through an endless process of revisions, editing, changing, arranging, and seeing what happened. And, um, you know, we kind of knew that the, the purpose was production music. So, it needed to live in a certain area of usefulness, useful as underscore, but also have an identity that didn't sound, we didn't want it to sound boring or, um, you know, generic in any way or something that you might've heard before. So there's a lot of freedom there just to experiment and, and really try to come up with stuff. One of the things that Warner Chapel likes to do is have a concept. And we'd write it down saying, and it, we kind of write a concept like you would have like a pitch for a movie basically. And I think the concept we came up with was, um, you know, an astronomer is alone at an Arctic outpost, um, staring up at the heavens, contemplating the disasters of earth and the beauty of the heavens. And, um, you know, funny enough, um, you know, Midnight Sky came out right after we started that and it sounded very much like the same pitch. And uh, so, you know, it, it's a good reference point. Um, so, you know, the music had this identity of being internal to the character. It, it never really got big. I didn't want to write, you know, um, action music on the Halo because it doesn't really sound like an action music thing, but there are some pieces that get right. pretty fast and um, it, it's supposed to be like the internal workings of somebody thinking and scribing and, you know, calculating. So we knew that the energy wanted to be this internal kind of a struggle and thinking and toiling. And then the strings were kind of the, the beauty and the dark kind of moments of it. So yeah, you kind of approach it like a, a movie that's all in your head. 
and each piece there are you know 13 tracks and it's like well this one is going to be the this one is more of the uh the montage of the thinking and discovering this one's more of like the uh self-loathing and hating one this is one of like beauty and uh love and then it sounded so great we're just like let's do another one so we made a second album and the second one i didn't want to use orchestra on it also i wanted just to be the halo and more sound design and ambient and and a little bit closer to my film score style so they they complement each other really well and i think between all of those and the variations of every track it gives a good kind of palette for underscore for tv for film even some advertising stuff which i think is what you know warner chapel was kind of intending also is that they want to have an artist's sound in their production music but they also want to have a usefulness to it they want it to be usable in whatever they use it for you know i i know what i'd like to see it in but you know they have a huge network so who i, yeah. I don't even know what to end up in we just finished it. We just got the uh, artwork finished and um, the albums are mastered and ready to go. That's, yeah, I always find production music is such an inter interesting uh, part of, of music composition. And I think a lot of people just either look past it or don't acknowledge it, but I think there's so much creativity that goes behind it. And especially how it's part of this kind of how productions are evolving these days and utilizing um, production music libraries more and more. And um, and it's it's just another you know you know kind of stem of what a film composition is and it's just the evolution of it and i thought it's uh it's very interesting and i know you sent me the the promos of it and it's yeah it's just it's great like i think it's fantastic so thanks yeah you know for me personally it was it was a really a dream gig I mean, yeah getting to write for my halo and and live players and an orchestra especially last year. I mean, we've kind of talked about this a little bit. It was yeah. a challenging year. There was a lot of stuff, man. I was stressed out. I was really, um, you know, I was concerned for my family. I was concerned for the city and the business and the world. And there was a lot of stress and things that were really just overwhelming every day. And being able to come here and just compose what was in my head or my, what I was feeling that day, it was therapeutic and it felt good. It was, I wasn't looking at a picture. I wasn't under some TV deadline. I was just composing for the love of composing and knowing that it had this kind of um, end product that I was working towards. Gotta tell you, it felt really good. Yeah, and you can feel and you can feel the existentialism through the music too. I know you talked about looking up at <laughs> the, the heavens and the skies and I, I relate to that stuff completely so it's oh, it was a, it's a fantastic uh, piece of work there yeah <laughs> um so, so as you know as we uh, start to wrap up you know i want to we talked about earlier your, your love of filmmaking and how you're not just love of just film music but every aspect of filmmaking so i would love to just as a fun question if you could do any other job on a film for a day just to try it out behind the camera in front of the camera whatever what would you choose Oh man, I love cinematography. I think yeah. like guys like Roger Dinkins, geniuses. I, yeah, I, I love really amazing shots of nature. And, um, you know, if I could be the uh, cinematographer on a movie like Koyana Scotsi, I'd be like, God, I'd, I'd, Perfect. I'd be super happy. I, I'd even like be the craft services guy. I'd, I'd yeah. eat really great pancakes and, uh, calzones and can i assume that you're a terrence malick fan then 
Yeah, beautiful movies. <laughs> I mean, I, I really like movies that have a visual style to them. Um, yeah. No matter what the genre is, um, I, I just, I'm a visual guy. I see these visual, like, these, these really hyper real stylized shots. And yeah, I think it's such a cool way to make movies. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love cinematography and I love, I try to do photography and stuff on the side and, and it's, it's a passion of mine as well. Um, but uh, so for the final question, something, and again, another fun, just fun question. Uh, so if you could um, pretend that, you know, this ori the original score of the movie never existed and no disrespect to the composer or the score, if you could choose any film to score that's been made, what would you choose? The Fountain. Oh, oh, it's an amazing choice. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's my I, favorite yeah. films. <laughs> I, I cried my eyes out like a oh yeah theater when I saw it. I I can't even tell you like how personal and like connected I am to that film. I yeah, and you know, Clint Mansell's score for it is just so freaking beautiful. I just amazing. I can barely listen to it without getting emotional. So yeah, yeah, the idea of like having a movie that affects me like that, just from like the visuals and the story and the um the plot i would love to kind of see what i could do with it but um like i said the intimidation of re replacing a perfect score already is, is of course a little more yeah. than it is the yeah one of the most uh, it's such a beautiful beautifully crafted film I, I wish criterion would do like a 4k remaster of that film it's just like uh, oh, uh, one of my favorite aronofsky's for sure yeah <laughs> yeah i i yeah, I think it's gonna. I mean, it's funny because like a lot of people say it's not their favorite one of his movies, but I just look at it and I'm just like, how can it not be? This is incredible. Yeah, it's exactly what the medium was made for. Just, I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, when they come out with the 4K, you and I can go see it. And uh, absolutely. <laughs> well, Greg, I want to thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you and and get a little bit of your insight and talking about your projects and. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. That was so fun, man. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, it was great talking to you.